There was a time I wished to go back to the way things used to be. Back to when I was a child, without a care in the world. Back before my parents were killed, before my brother made that stupid wish. Although, without those events, I wouldn't be where I am now. Back when this all began, a small number of people had developed supernatural abilities. Some called them gifts from the gods. No one knew why, how, or when these gifts appeared, but those who had them kept it hidden out of fear of being caught, locked away, and experimented on. While gift holders can appear anywhere in the world, this story takes place in Onryx, a large island nation between Russia and Japan. One fateful day, the busy streets of Onryx City were packed with people. I was on the run from the police, again. I hadn't done anything bad, I just didn't want to pay a fine when I had no money to call my own. This fine comes from the gifted clause, of course. It was put into effect by the government of Onryx. This clause states that if a gifted person causes trouble, they will have to pay a hefty fine. Of course, if their offense is great enough, they will be taken to the SCDG, the stronghold to contain the dangerously gifted. It is a dangerous place to be if you have a gift. You never know if you'll wake up the next morning. Every gifted person the police or government comes into contact with is then entered into a database to keep track of these encounters. I slipped through the crowd unnoticed as I made my way to the sidewalk. I shivered and ran faster, the chilly October air threatening to freeze me in place. Running against the crowd, I continued to apologize to the people I bumped into. Excuse me. Sorry. 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 I thought I was my in the apologies. clear, but suddenly I bumped into a policeman. We only met eyes for a split second before I sprinted away. I would have gotten away if I hadn't slipped in that puddle. I felt two massive hands on my back and looked over my shoulder, straight into the face of two angry policemen. At the police station, I turned in all of my possessions. Not that I had a lot anyway. All I had was a couple Nova to spend on necessities. A rock that glimmered in the sunlight, and the locket my brother gave me. From there, I was shoved into a cramped, claustrophobic room. It was dark, except for a single hanging light above a rather plain metal table. There was a loop screwed onto the table, and I watched as it was opened by the police officer. With a firm grip, he forced me to sit in a metal chair. He then grabbed the middle of my handcuffs and put them in the center of that loop. With a click and a lock, he chained me to the table. An officer then walked in with a clipboard and a small laptop. When I glanced at the name tag, I saw the name Dunn inscribed on it. As he plodded to the chair on the opposite side of the table, heavy footsteps filled the room. Name, please? My name is Utsu. Listen, son, I, I don't have time for your games. My shift is almost over, so just tell me your real name. But that is my real name. Then why do you look exactly like Koro Sasaki? Says here that he's a gifted who is considered extremely dangerous and is part of a gifted organization called Oasis. Oasis is a group of gifted individuals who seek to take over Onryx and gain influence throughout the world. This wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for their harsh philosophy. Those who are not gifted are not worthy of this world. To achieve their goal of eliminating the non-gifted, there isn't anything that they won't do. Because I'm Utsu Sasaki, and Koro is my brother. Huh.
It says here you are not in the database. What makes you think I have a gift? Well, miss, you are making my clipboard and cup of pens float. I would say that's a gift. Now, this isn't my first rodeo with you gifted folk. Just fill this out and we can add you to the database. Oh, and you'll pay the registration fee. Before Officer Dunn could say another word, a stout woman burst through the door. Sir, we have an emergency. Koro Sasaki has been spotted in a warehouse by the docks. We are sending units to apprehend him. Please let me help. I know my brother better than anyone. Maybe I could persuade him to stand down. That was a lie, of course. I knew I wouldn't be able to get Koro to stand down even if I tried. But if I didn't say something, they would never let me go. Not again. <sighs> you got lucky this time. My shift just ended, so I'm just going to let you off with a warning. Next time I see you here, though, you will pay that registration fee. Thank you, Officer Dunn. Truly, it means a lot. Officer Dunn scoffed and told me to be on my way with a flustered look on his face. Outside, the moon was shining bright and the night air was refreshing. But the feeling I had in my chest was cold and dark. I saw a flash of light followed by a roaring boom in the distance. My stomach twisted in knots as I ran towards the commotion. I started feeling nauseous because despite wanting to see my brother, I knew he wouldn't be so happy to see me. I was so lost in thought that I didn't realize that I had arrived at the warehouse door. Just before entering, I hesitated because I was afraid of what waited for me beyond. With my legs planted like trees in the ground, I started thinking about all the things that could happen. Going in could lead to a conversation, or it could lead to my demise. I regained my cool and shook off the roots of my worry that kept me in place. And after a deep breath, I went inside. The missing sections of the roof let in enough moonlight to light the warehouse so I could barely see my surroundings. There were only a few empty boxes here and there, but nothing was out of the ordinary. It was just empty and quiet. Too quiet. I had only taken a few steps when I felt a surge of my brother's power in the air. Out of nowhere, he appeared in front of me. My, my. What do we have here? Utsu, my dear sister. Could that really be you? That voice... It was the same one from all those years ago, but it was not Koro that was speaking to me. Sure, the person that stood in front of me looked like Koro, but it was not him. You see, Koro discovered his gift in a rather... unpleasant way. I'll spare you the details, but in short, when Koro discovered his gift, a dark being entered his body and took control. Koro has his moments where he is himself, but they never last long. You are not Koro. Clever girl. Where's the task force? They've been laid to rest. But unfortunately, they couldn't be added to my collection. That's only for special people. I've gotten stronger since the last time you saw me. Is that so? Yes. Allow me to show you! Koro lunged at me, aiming for my throat. I managed to dodge his attack, but not before he grabbed my arm and twisted it behind my back and shoved me to the ground. I stumbled to my feet and took a swing at Koro, but I missed. 
In the blink of an eye, Koro appeared behind me and put his arm around my throat, cutting off my circulation. Why did you come here? What do you think? To find... you? Idiot. By the time I felt Koro's grip loosen, <laughs> I was barely conscious. I dropped to the ground, and the world went dark. When I came to, I was greeted by the sound of a heart monitor and the overwhelming smell of cleaning products. I opened my eyes with a start, not knowing what had happened to me. My eyes started to dart around the room in a panic, which only left me confused and disoriented. I realized that I was in a dark hospital room. When I went to rub my head, I was met with a sharp pain. Cora was doing no doubt. As I felt around, I also noticed that a couple layers of bandages laid across my forehead. In the uncomfortably dark room, I noticed sunlight seeping through the cracks in the curtains. The small taste of the sun wasn't enough, so I got up and opened them. The light poured into the room and filled every corner. I started to feel refreshed and rejuvenated. My energy slowly returned, and the pain in my head diminished. Although, I didn't recognize the view outside the window. It was a part of town that I had never been to. Oh, uh, come in. The person who walked in the door was certainly not a doctor or nurse. His messy sky-blue hair hung over his face while a white headband attempted to hold some of it back. Oh, you're awake. Utsu Sasaki, is it? Mm-hmm. I'm Kazuki Ryori. Nice to meet you. How did you know my name? Well, your name is on the door. Oh, <laughs> right. The man seemed to be around the same age as me. Somewhere in his mid-twenties. Maybe a little older. He stuck out his hand for me to shake. Naturally, I greeted him with a polite smile. When I met his gaze, I was met with a pair of warm, golden eyes. What happened, and where am I? My boss has been tracking your brother for a while now, and sent me to try to detain him. However, when you entered the mix, things got complicated. As for where you are, you were at an infirmary on the north side of town. As soon as Kazuki said the word infirmary, I started to panic. Surely this visit wouldn't come cheap. My palms started to sweat, and my brow furrowed in thought of how I was going to pay for all of it. How am I going to pay for all of this? I don't have any money. You don't have to worry. My boss will cover all of your expenses here. <laughs> Who is your boss? That is confidential. But luckily for you, he wants to meet with you. What makes you so sure that I'll just go with you? I don't even know you. How do I know you're not going to kidnap me and ugh, sell me on the black market? Whoa there. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm here on behalf of my professional organization. And just what kind of professional organization allows its members to dress like that? Sorry, I didn't have time to properly dress this morning. I woke up late. But if you join, I'm sure you will enjoy it there since you have a gift and all. How about this? I'll take you to my boss, and if you decide that you want no part of it, then I will personally ensure your safety and escort you back home. But I don't have a home. Not anymore, at least. All the more reason you should consider coming with me. <sighs> Fine. 
But first, can I, uh, can I take a shower or something? <laughs> yes, your clothes are on the chair. I'll wait for you outside the room. Once he had left the room, I got up from the bed and walked over to the chair that held my clothes. They had been cleaned and neatly folded. I grabbed them with care and headed towards the bathroom door. The bathroom was small and practical. There was a sink with a mirror above it, a toilet, and a tiny shower that had no more room than absolutely needed. The handle squeaked as I turned it to start the flow of water. When I stepped into the shower, it was warm and refreshing. I felt so relaxed. I hadn't had this luxury in quite some time. It had been a while since I used that much water without savoring every drop. When I was done, I picked up the pile of clothes off the chair. My dingy white button down was on its last legs, but it would do for the time being. My black jeans had faded into a dirty gray and had holes in the knees, but they too would suffice. The only thing I had to combat the cold in Onryx was a teal scarf and my mother's light gray trench coat. I'm taking you to my work headquarters. It's a bit of a drive, so feel free to take a nap or something. As I settled in my seat, I took note of the freshly cleaned windows and rugs that contradicted the disheveled state of its driver. And when we finally hit the road, it was so... quiet. I felt as if everything I did would be noticed, from every breath to every blink. However, as the drive went on, I became more curious about the person who was sitting next to me. His hair was oddly colored, and the way he dressed was not that of a professional. I ended up pushing those thoughts aside and stared out the window. Almost immediately, my eyelids began to feel heavy, and soon my vision turned to that of the land of subconsciousness. Wake up! We're here! This is your headquarters? It's huge! When the doors opened, I was in awe of the interior. It was so fancy and well-decorated. At first, I was excited with butterflies in my stomach as we walked through the hallways. However, as we inched closer to the door, I became hesitant. I didn't know what had come over me. I only felt my hands start to shake, and my excitement turn to nervousness. At that moment, all I wanted to do was hide. It'll be okay, trust me. I nodded, then walked in the door with caution. The office was palatial and looked like a living room. There was a leather couch that was big enough to fit at least four people perpendicular to the wall. On the other side, facing inward, there was two love seats that matched the couch, accompanied by a small wood coffee table in the middle. Along the furthest walls, there were various doors that led to who knows where. To the left, I saw a massive window, and beneath it was an ordinary office desk, with a man sitting in a chair. Thank you, Kazuki. That'll be all. Have a seat, Miss Sasaki. I sat down gingerly, making sure to make as little noise as possible. I watched Kazuki give me a wave goodbye as he walked out one of the doors along the furthest wall. 
From there, I was left alone with the man in the chair. He looked to be about in his late 20s or maybe early 30s, although I could be wrong. But his perfect posture and business suit indicated otherwise. Uh, um, if I may ask, sir, uh, uh, what's going on and uh, who are you? I'm sure you have many questions and all of them will be answered in time. To answer some of them, I am Akio Inzen. You may address me as boss, Mr. Inzen, or simply Akio. You are currently at the headquarters of a government organization called Nexus. While our organization is recognized, it is not well known to the public. Our purpose is to serve and protect Onryx, but most importantly, our main goal is to wipe out Oasis and all it stands for. And just what is it that makes Nexus so special? I'm glad you asked. Much like you, all of the members of Nexus have a gift. With that, I have a question for you, Miss Sasaki. Would you like to join us? It depends. What would joining entail? Well, you'd never have to pay for any of your expenses, given that they are necessity-based. This includes food, housing, clothes within reason, transportation, medical, and anything else you could possibly need. Plus, you would get paid a decent wage. That sounds like it's too good to be true. What's the catch? Oh, there is none. Well, at least any that you would have to worry about. I can assure you that when you're part of this group, I will do everything in my power to ensure your safety and well-being. Not because I am your boss, but because I care. What makes you think I'll just accept your offer? Miss Sasaki, I do believe that I am offering you all that you've wanted for for the past, what, six or seven years? Ever since that little accident in Osiris, you have been out on the streets. I am merely offering you a place you can call home and a job. I know for a fact that you won't refuse my offer. You make a solid argument, I'll give you that. You give me too much credit. <laughs> I am just a well-seasoned businessman. You said that everyone at Nexus has a gift. Then you must too, right? That is a confidential matter, Miss Sasaki. Although I'm sure you'll figure out what it is, eventually. Akio then got up from his chair and walked towards one of the doors. He was a lot taller than me, and towered over me by about a foot. Now if you would please follow me, Miss Sasaki. There are people I would like for you to meet. How many others uh, are there? Sadly, we are low in numbers. As of right now, we only have four. However, I do plan on recruiting more people in the near future. Uh, here we are. On the right. There was a whole wall with every spice you could ever imagine stacked on various shelves. On the furthest wall, there was a five-burner stove, and to the right of that, a conventional oven with a microwave nested on top. All of the countertops were made of a gray granite in which neither a scratch nor chip could be seen. Behind the counter was Kazuki and a girl chopping vegetables. The girl looked like she was from the Victorian era with a modern twist. I think this style is called, uh, Lolita. The blue in her dress really brought out her eyes, and the frilly white accents complemented her complexion. She also wore her hair in two twin tails with long, golden ringlets. Oh, hello! I didn't see you there. Is this a new recruit? Yes, this is Miss Utsu Sasaki. The girl washed her hands and dried them hastily with a towel. 
When she came over to greet me, there was almost a skip in her step. Utsu, I'd like you to meet. <laughs> Hello there, my name is Charlotte, but you can call me Lottie if you like. It's so nice to meet you. I was getting tired of being the only girl and... <clears throat> Don't mind her, Utsu. She just gets a little excited when she meets new people. She's really nice once you get to know her. I know you've already met Kazuki since I sent him to get you. Let us be on our way. I then followed Akio out the door. We ended up going outside to a decent-sized shed that was made from wood planks. The structure itself was sturdy and well-kept. The only thing that was odd was that there was many handprints around the door. They looked as if many hands held onto the door frame while exiting over time. Anaru, are you here? Yeah, uh, one sec. Sorry, I was in the middle of a small project. Miss Sasaki, this is Anaru, the main brawn of the organization. Anaru, this is Utsu, our newest member. Nice to meet you, Utsu. Nice to meet you as well. What are you working on? Oh, come in, and I'll show you. The walls of the well-lit shed were lined with shelves filled with all sorts of pottery. From small plates and teacups, all the way up to intricate urns that came up to my waist. In the middle of the shed, there was a potter's wheel with blocks of unused clay surrounding it. Beside that, there was a large garbage bin for easy waste disposal. One of the many shelves was full of various glazes and paints to give the creations color and personality. On the other side of the potter's wheel was an assortment of tools. I thought they were a bit excessive, but then again, I know next to nothing about clay. You made all of these? Yeah. It's just a hobby, though. It may be a hobby, but Anaru is responsible for most of our mug and cup, as well as plate inventory at the HQ. Where do you fire these? Kiln is just outside in another small structure to protect it from the elements. This bad boy can get up to 2400 degrees Fahrenheit. Sorry to interrupt your conversation, but there's still more that I need to show Miss Sasaki. <sighs> Understood. Utsu? If you ever want to make something or just want to talk, just say the word. I waved goodbye as Akio led me back into the HQ. As we walked, my mind started to wonder about the people who I just met. Say, Akio. <laughs> my apologies, it's just that you're the only one who has chosen to address me that way. Anaru calls me sir due to his military background, and both Charlotte and Kazuki address me as boss. But if you wish to call me by that first name, that is also acceptable. I did say it was an option, so please don't feel as if you have wronged me. Alrighty. So, uh, what gifts do the others have? <sighs> Since you are going to be a part of Nexus, I suppose it would be okay to tell you. Kazuki's gift is what you would call telekinesis. This means he can move things with his mind. This includes people and buildings, but he has yet to work his way up to that. Charlotte's gift is a pesky one. It allows her to see up to one minute in the future. This makes it very easy for her to say what you want to hear. Anadu's gift is what you would call astral projection. It allows him to separate from his body while he enters a deep trance. He mostly uses this for possession, but has yet to truly understand his gift. Oh, I see. Where are we going now? I would like to test your gift to see where you're at in terms of how much control you have. I'm taking you to our training grounds. We walked inside a small elevator at the end of one of the hallways. 
The floor panel inside only consisted of three buttons, none of which were labeled. Akio then proceeded to press the bottom button which started our descent. When we got to the bottom, the doors of the elevator opened up to a cement hallway. Fluorescent lights hung from the ceiling and illuminated the hallway. As far as I could see, there were only two doors. The first door was metal, with a small slit of reinforced glass. Akio said that the metal door, which was the one on the right, was a holding chamber for dangerous people the organization wanted to keep an eye on. When we got further down to the door on the left, Akio opened it and gestured for me to go through. The room beyond was massive. I mean, it was absolutely mind-boggling. I... It had to have measured around 25 meters high, 177 meters long, and 78 meters wide. About the size of a football stadium, with the roof supported by many concrete pillars. Large vents lined the top of the walls every so often, and large humming lights were scattered across the ceiling. We walked down a flight of stairs to a concrete floor. At the bottom of the stairs, Akio loosened his tie and took off his black blazer and draped it on the metal handrail. He then signaled me to follow him out to the middle of the massive space. Please remove any accessories at this time. My locket? I don't want to part with it. It's my most prized possession. I understand, but this is for your safety and, by extension, your lockets. It would be a shame if it were to break or be damaged during the assessment. Miss Sasaki, there is only one way for me to properly evaluate your gift. If you please, come at me with everything you've got. What do you mean? I wouldn't want you to break anything. You assume that my age will hinder my performance, but I am not yet 30. Oh, uh, well, I don't know about fighting. The last time I fought someone with my gift was... was... that day. I'm sure that day was a hard one to bear, but I digress. Let us continue with the evaluation. I would like you to make the first move. I started out quite far from Akio as he stood about five meters away from me. I ran at him, reeling back my fist, ready to strike. He dodged it with ease and tripped me as I passed him. I got up right away and turned to face him once more. Suddenly, he appeared behind me and took a swing at me. I managed to dodge it just in time. Before he could pull his fist back to his body, I grabbed his arm and threw him on his back. In that moment, he felt light as a feather despite being almost twice my size. Huh? Before Akio could reach the ground, a portal appeared below him and he fell through the floor. The portal spit him out about seven meters away from me. <sighs> so, you create portals, huh? Yes. My gift allows me to create a portal to anywhere I have been previously or to specific coordinates. However, my gift does have its limits. The bigger the portal, the smaller the distance I can travel. I can also do this. <laughs> Akio then created a portal, not much smaller than he was, and stuck his hand through it. In an instant, I felt something grab my ankle. I looked down to see Akio's hand. We quickly exchanged glances before he pulled me through the portal and slammed me onto my stomach on the other side. When I got to my feet, Akio struck instantly and aimed for my face. 
I ducked just in time, with his fist missing me by mere inches. I took this opportunity to get lower and leg-sweep Akio, making him lose his balance. This opening left me just enough time for me to stand up and rear my fist back to strike. I threw a hook with my left hand and made contact with Akio's jaw. You can certainly hold your own, Miss Sasaki. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to hit you that hard. If I might make an observation, Miss Sasaki, you haven't used your gift at all during the evaluation. Why is that? My gift? It doesn't work very well underground or at night. I don't know why, though. Regardless, I would like you to use your gift for the sake of the evaluation. Understood. I took a deep breath and closed my eyes. The air was cold and still, yet energy flowed throughout the massive space. I started to gather all of the energy I could. However, with the touch of warmth from the sun above and out of my reach, I had to resort to the buzzing lights above me. The lights started to dim as I stripped them of their energy. A luminescent orb started to accumulate between my palms, growing hotter by the second. A slow whirring of flames rung in my ear as I felt my power grow. I opened my eyes to find flames of energy circling around me. The orb in my hand was about the size of a basketball and was ready to strike. Akio's gaze was that of a deer in headlights. His body was turned away as if to run at the slightest movement. But his eyes were so intrigued and full of curiosity. Akio noticed my hesitation to release my attack and nodded to signal that he was ready. I closed my eyes as the golden orb left my palm. Akio was only a few meters away. Surely an attack of that caliber would incinerate him on the spot. The whirring sound of flames flew by my ears with a gust of air. Then all was quiet. I didn't hear Akio at all, not even his breath. I was afraid to open my eyes in fear that I had just murdered a man. I jumped as I felt a hand on my shoulder. Why'd you stop? Uh, aren't you supposed to be burned to a crisp? As much as I would love that, no. Just as your attack was about to hit me, I used my portal to dodge it. However, it seems as if my gift was not needed. What do you mean? Well, Miss Sasaki, your attack burned out mere centimeters in front of me. Meaning my attack didn't work. Not quite. Well, that should do it for your evaluation. Let us go back to the ground floor. Miss Sasaki, have you heard of the legend of the all-seeing eyes? I don't believe I have. Listen well. It is a tale of how gifts came to be in this world. Long before humans existed, Deities with godlike abilities ruled all over the universe. Of these many deities, the most powerful were the deities of the sun, moon, sky, and stars. These four deities were known as the Celestial Council and were beloved by the God of the Heavens. One day, the God of the Heavens came to the deity of the moon and said, Tomorrow, a great danger will plague this plane of existence. What is this great danger you speak of? The universe will be dragged into darkness, and the world around you will shake and rumble. You must deliver this message to all of the deities in this plane of existence, and seek shelter when the time comes. The moon deity rushed to tell the others, but when he spoke of great danger, the other deities paid him no mind. When he went to the deity of the sun, she said, I will attend to the matter when the day is done and the sun has set. 
I'm sorry, I wish I could help you, but I have things that need my attention. When he went to the deity of the stars, he said, The stars will not be struck down so easily. I can endure this danger you speak of. When the deity of the sky heard about this great danger, he immediately spread the word to all the deities under his rule. The next morning, the sun did not rise and stars did not sleep. The great danger had snuck into the peaceful plain in the night. The deity of the sun fought the great danger until she succumbed to its emptiness. The star deity wrapped himself around the sun and stars to protect her, but he too was succumbed to the emptiness of the great danger. The moon deity had been preparing for this and made a place of refuge for all deities. He sent a message out for all to follow him to his place of refuge. Hurry! This way to safety! In a matter of moments, every deity came rushing towards the place of refuge and rushed through the doors. At the end of the horde of deities was the sky deity. He lagged behind us to make sure that all got to safety before him. The moon deity rushed to help the sky deity in his efforts to save the rest. All was according to plan. But when the moon and sky deities got to the doors of the place of refuge, the other deities shut the doors. Please let us in! With no response, the moon and the sky deities succumbed to the emptiness of the great danger. When the great danger had passed, the god of the heavens saw what had become of his beloved deities. He cried out in anger and made a promise to the four deities who were lost that day. When the time is right, I will grant you a second chance at life. As for the deities of the sun, stars, sky, and moon, to honor your valiant efforts, I shall grant you one wish with my all-seeing eyes. The deities who did nothing to aid the Celestial Council will atone for their crime. The God of the Heavens then turned the souls of all the deities into stones and cast them down to Earth to live mortal lives. However, the God of the Heavens did not know that the power of the deities still remained within the stones, and so their mortal lives would possess a supernatural ability. The God of the Heavens also failed to realize that he sent the souls of the Celestial Council down to Earth with the other deities.